When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The big man joins us, a man who had a big appetite for winning medals, so particularly gold ones, and a quite extraordinary rowing career. Eight world championships, just a couple of just a couple of Olympic Games gold medals as well. Grant, uh, I'd imagine his um, I'd imagine his trophy cabinet somewhat bigger than yours. Grant, fair to say, I don't want to pick on you, but I um, no, I got uh, we we did get a lot of Spirit of Cricket awards that are actually <laughs> that's right, the Spirit of Cricket, <laughs> yeah. The, the spirit of God, the one everyone wants. Let's welcome in, of course, uh, one half of New Zealand, well, arguably one of the most dominant uh, sporting teams New Zealand's ever uh, seen. Eric Murray joins us on the program. Good morning, Eric. Morning, Good Eric. Morning. How are you? We are great. Where do we find you today? Because I understand what were you on a golf course yesterday? Uh, I was. I was doing the Super Six event with Foxy. Um, managed to see old John Key get his hole in one, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, no, good, good fun, good fun yesterday. But today I'm back in Cambridge and I am demolishing a couple of sheds on a property that I've bought that I need to uh, clean up section. <laughs> oh, mate, there's, there's no rest for the wicked. So John Key got a hole in one. So for the first time ever, athletes were going up to him to annoy him for a photo. Oh well, see, um, the a few of the rugby boys, Will Jordan, Anton uh, Leonard Brown, and, and Damian McKenzie, were playing with it, and Anton goes. It's probably got to be one of like highlights of my life because he said it's just amazing, like to actually see a hole in one, and you know they're playing with Ryan Fox at the time. Um, he was just like it was amazing, <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, and of course John, um, he's played golf shit for however long, and he's never ever had a hole in one. You know, it's one of these stories of people that have been on the golf course their whole life, and you hear all these people five, ten hole in ones, and then people are like never had one. You know, and John Key was one of those people until yesterday, so. I don't know how he ended up last night, but he'd probably be a bit more dustier than old Grant, for sure. Well, Eric, I want to ask you, though, because it is actually um, customary to um, to buy the whole um, bar a drink, isn't it? Everyone at the at the course uh, has to be bought by the person getting the hole-in-one. Did John Key actually buy you around? Uh, well, I think because it was an event, I think the beers were already free anyway, so it probably uh, negated that fact for him, but uh, I'm sure he'll still be celebrating on that right now. And I think, you know, it's one of these things to, to get a hole-in-one for people, you know, in the golfing world, you know, it's pretty cool to do it, but of course, when you've got cameras and everything else on you and you've got a massive group, I reckon that takes it to a completely different level again. Well, um, I, w- I want to ask you, because, I mean, our listeners are going to be absolutely salivating to listen your, about your story and how you reached the peaks that you did. Speaking about John Key, he probably thinks, oh, maybe I could have been a professional golfer. Now, for you, you were at Pukekohe High School, and you decided that you wanted to go uh, with a friend to the Mercer Rowing Club because they advertised an open day. Is, is that true, just to get fit for rugby? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think at the time, you know, rowing was, you know, we're talking shit, mid, mid-90s. <laughs> um, 
you know, that was that was just sort of uh, Ryan. Like it wasn't even on my radar. You know, I was playing cricket um, when I was at school and rugby, and and I and I sort of wasn't enjoying cricket as much, and you know, just didn't wasn't making teams or anything. So I was like, oh, I'll need something else to get me fit for rugby. Uh, and yeah, they pretty much get an assembly and go, hey, who wants to come down to the rowing club? And we thought, oh yeah, might as well give that a go. And then one thing leads to another, and you try and rowing, and then you sort of carry on it as a sport over the summer period, and. Uh, pretty much did that for three or four years until I left school and carried it on into the club scene. So, yeah, that's pretty much how it started. Um, and it just soon became quite obvious that I was better at rowing than I was at rugby. So it sort of leads you down that path. Well, well how soon after? Is it, is it from being a novice, literally the, the first time you're in a boat? Or you no. know, did it take oh, a couple no, of years? Oh, for sure. It's probably uh, three... Took, took two seasons till we were a lot like first season was terrible um but i enjoyed it so second season we went back and we weren't losing we were making a few finals and winning the occasional sort of preliminary race and you're like shit this is fun um and then it wasn't until sort of the third year at school that we started winning some medals um so you know it wasn't a rapid rise um i wouldn't say i was naturally talented at it it was just something that you were like hey i'm enjoying this I, I go to schools now and I talk to kids and I'm like, honestly, what's the easiest way to get kids into rowing? Hey, guys, you're going to get a couple of weeks off school. Uh, and everyone's like, right, come <laughs> out. And that's basically, that's basically what I was like. Brilliant. Well, oh, you know, everyone that we have on the show, Eric, the, from our Legends chat, they talk about the passion that they have for the sport and normally starts at a young age. You, you're quite different in that regard. Um, was was it something that when you tried, you thought, wow, like I actually love being in the water. This is something that um, I haven't had that that feeling before where you've got that desire to just be possibly the best in the world, which you eventually um, achieved. Yeah, I, I guess when you when you look at the passion that came from it, it wasn't until, you know, you, you sort of commit to it and you and you start getting better and you you start getting this feeling for the boat and, and all the other bits that come with it. So for me, I probably didn't feel that till I was, you know, 17, 18, when I'd sort of left school. And then you sort of watch the men doing it, you know, because at that stage, I'm, I'm still basically a teenager. I'm like, and you get in a boat with, you know, fully grown men in their 20s and 30s, and you're just like, holy shit, you know, this is a different level, you know, there's a lot of power. Um, and so for me, it wasn't until you get to that stage and you, you row with the guys, you know, I was lucky enough, I was down in Christchurch, I rode with a few of the guys that came back from the Sydney Olympics, and, and you're just like, holy shit, like, they've got to that point by, you know, committing to it and doing all the stuff, so theoretically, I can do the same, and so then you basically just go, right, let's see how long it's going to take me to get to that point, and, and for me, I wasn't even thinking about the Athens Olympics at that stage, I was just like, let's just see how well I can go, and, you know, maybe, maybe uh, 2008, but you know, as it as it became part and, and became obvious, you know, you're in an academy and in a development program and next one thing leads to another and you're producing the times that are good enough and you're winning races against all the men and you're like, shit, I, I could make this. Um, and that's really where it, it becomes an obsession. <laughs> and then as like anything, you know, and you basically just sit that um, and see how far you can push it. It's such a hard work sport, isn't it? You do the yards, you can, uh, you know, reap serious rewards. So I think it's about five years after you leave high school, you go to your first Olympics. 
it's about eight years in total, isn't it, from leaving high school to, to winning your first um, uh, world championship in, in 2007. Is that progression through all the hard work linear, or is there a breakthrough at some stage when, when you finally do crack it? How would you describe that evolution to actually com- competing oh. at the top? Yeah, it's like you can you can get to the you can get competing at the top relatively easy, and you can get some success relatively quickly. Um, but then it's consistency, you know, and being able to back it up. You know, you, you you go to an event and you might win your heat, and you're like, oh, you beauty, but you've had to give it a hundred percent. And then of course, when it comes time for a semi final and a final, you've just got no more energy, right? So you're sort of like, okay, well now we're not we're not in the final, we're back at the B final, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it, it does take a little bit of time to start and get in the understanding for what needs to be done and the speed. And, it, and it's and it's at a progression that takes, you know, and, and you talk about these finding the 1% and all that sort of stuff. You know, we're, we're trying to find 1% year on, year out, you know, and that's, it's, it's, it seems like such a <laughs> minuscule amount, but it's so big when you come to a sporting terms, especially like when, you know, 1% two and a half seconds and you're like, shit, that's a lifetime in most sports. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a progression through learning how to, to row properly. And I know that sounds like a complete oxymoron type of situation, but, yeah. you know, we had to learn how to do it properly. Um, and once we started being able to do that, we started getting some results, you know, and we, we got some results. We won the four in 2007, but we just a classic example of, you know, find, finding success or stumbling across it. And we couldn't replicate that. So you go into the Olympic Games, not knowing what was making you good in the first place, trying all this different crap, and then just falling short at the at the final hurdle, which was us. Um, and that basically led us into the path to, to getting into the pair together. Eric, um, at what stage, I don't know if you're a, a, a goal-orientated um, athlete, but most athletes, I guess, look at something and they go, right, I want to achieve this height. Did you have any goals in mind um when you when you started out did you have an idea of how many medals you wanted to win oh no 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 none of none of the success stuff was like i wanted to go like first and foremost you want to go to the world champs um and then of course you're like should i want to get a medal you don't really give a shit about the color um you know and then obviously it's like let's go to the olympics and then once you get a taste for it you your your expectations change so i think it's one of these things where you can have a hope for a, for a goal, right? You know, most 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 goals are hopes. I hope I make it here. I hope I can do this. I hope I can jump this 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 far or jump or run this fast. Um, but you start getting a realistic expectation of your capabilities, and you're actually like, you know what? I'm not that far off. Um, and so then those goals start slightly changing, and 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 you adapt them a little bit. And so for us, you know, yeah, we can do 2,000 meter tests on the rowing machine, but it's not until you get on the water and you're racing against the other competition that you actually start to get a realisation of, of how quick you can be or you need to be. Um, and so that just takes um, experience, you know, practice and sending people overseas and, and having development programmes. And, you know, that's what was we were very, very lucky about with Lake Carapiro. We had a, a great programme that developed people like Rob Dell and then the Everswindells and then us, you know. And we were just one of these cogs in the wheel. And it's a reason really why you've seen rowing in New Zealand be so successful for, what, two decades? Um, because yeah. we had that production line of people that were coming through and we were one of these ones on the ranks that were like, hey, we've got all the facilities, here's everything you need, what do you guys want to achieve? And, and we found a combination between us that was like, right, do you want to win? Yep, I want to win, yep, and then let's go for it. And that's basically where, where it starts. 
Uh, Eric Murray is our uh, Saturday session legend. Uh, extraordinary success alongside Hamish, of course. Uh, we, we, people know the success you've had. Um, but what about the relationship? Was it, you know, like a match made in heaven like Grant and a bar together, like from day one? Did you have to work on it? Um, with it, was there immediate success? You know, the, the formation of a, of a true partnership. You know, how do you describe that? Yeah, so Hamish and I rode together when we were in the four. Um, and so we had a few years in the four where we were rowing with a whole lot of other people. Um, and, and once we got in the pair together, we were like, okay, we, we need both of us, you know. And begrudgingly, Hamish says it, and I say it as well. You know, okay, obviously, it's a bit of a joke. But, like, I couldn't have done this without Hamish, and he couldn't have done it without me. Even if you cloned one of us, he's like, I still don't think I could have done it without you. And, and I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we just found something that worked. And one of the biggest things we, we clicked onto very, very early on is that, You've just got to you've got to trust and you've got to believe in one another. And I know it's a very very simple thing to say, and people are like yeah, but it's very difficult. It isn't. It isn't right. It's like if you're doing the work and you don't have to question somebody else's ability, and you don't have to say, "Come on, pal, you're late all the time," or you know, "Why'd you cut that set short?" or anything like that. As long as you don't need to do that, you're pretty much onto a winning combination. And that's basically what we had. So Hamish believed he was the best. <laughs> I believed I was the best. <laughs> and so you basically bring us to the two of us Brilliant. together and we're trying to outwork each other and we're like, well, no, let's, let's give this a whirl. And so when it came time for like, you know, if you, if you think about hierarchy or other pieces in our boat, we didn't have a leader, okay? So we were both just equal partnerships. Um, if Hamish brought ideas to the table, I'd be like, cool, if you think that's going to make us faster, awesome. And if I said, I think we need to be doing this, Hamish would be like, cool, if you think that's going to make us faster. Um, and, and because at the end of the day, both of us wanted to win, you know. I, I wouldn't say we both wanted to achieve what we achieved because that's pretty, I don't think it'll ever be repeated in our lifetime. Um, no. But, of course, we just wanted to win. And so that was, that was basically where it started and where we wanted it to go to. Uh, and, and we did it because we knew that we needed one another. We knew that we needed to trust one another. Um, and I think that trust worked very, very well. And, you know, we can see what happened through our whole career. Eric, uh, one thing that no one really talks about with rowing is, is there discussion during the race or you just, you, you're too focused on um, obviously getting that heart rate up and doing what you need to do? Because, you know, in cricket, with the partnership that you've got, when you see someone losing concentration in the middle, you normally, you know, you'll try and get them focused and, and maybe have a word to them. Um, is there any of that, like either pre-race, during the race or post-race that you, you have a discussion about? Oh, all, all our stuff comes down to preparation. You know, I, ideally, you know how a race is going to go before you even get onto the start line because you're like, you know what, we've been rowing well, our speed's there. Um, yeah, we're going to have to race other people that are in the race, but we pretty much know it. So we've got a plan of what we're trying to do, you know, like we'll go out fast, we'll, we'll, we'll do a certain amount for a certain time, and then, then we'll focus on different parts of the course because once you get through sort of halfway, you, you actually, in, in a rowing race, believe it or not, you actually start slowing down quite rapidly. So it doesn't look like it on screen, but your split times per 500 start getting slower and slower and slower. So for us, it was like we want to minimise that fade. And so that was really where our focus came. But you don't have time to talk. There's no time for a conversation. It's one or two words like clean finish or, you know, sharp catch or push or whatever it is. One word. 
because that no, like you're just working. You're at you're doing 38 strokes a minute. Um, your heart rate is sub-maximal, and you're just focused on. I'm trying to keep the boat straight. Uh, everything else is going on. So there's just so much going on. And so it seems like it's such a, a long race being six and a half minutes long, which is pretty much an average time in a pair. But I'll tell you what, I, I could, if I sat here for six and a half minutes, I'd be like, no way, that race went way quicker than that. Um, you know, and that's it. You know, it's all about the practice and preparation. And, and I truly believe, you know, when, when you hear athletes saying, oh, I hope it goes well, you know, oh, I might need a bit of luck. You don't know how well you're going. You don't know what you're capable of achieving. Whereas we could sit there and go, look, it's going to be tough today. We've got a couple of really good competitors that have gone fast in their pre-rounds. But I still think that if we do our best, we're going to be slightly faster. Um, and, and, and you've got to be able to do that to have the confidence going into those races. And there were a few races where we've been injured or sick or whatever. And I'll be like, look, you know, we're going to just going to have to see how it goes today because I don't think we're at the level that we should be. Um, and, and that's why, as an athlete, I think one of the best tools you can have um, in your toolbox is, is knowing your capabilities and, and having a realistic expectation. Interesting. Really fascinating. But I'd like to know, what's the chatter like before a race against your competitors? Because you and Hamish had so much dominance. People were leaving, weren't they? They, they were going off to, to get into different crews. You must, you must have walked out with such a swagger. Who's getting second, boys? Who's getting second oh, today? Like, like you must come have on. felt that there was none of that. Because like, I'd imagine you would have got to a lot of start lines going, we've got these. We've got these guys. You look, look them in the eye and you oh, knew. You knew yep. they, they yep. could not compete if you were anywhere near your best. Uh, yeah, 100%. And, and that was, you know, like I loved, and, and it's obviously quite poignant, you know, with Sir Murray's passing, but I don't know if you've ever heard mm. the story about him in Rome, you know, and he talks about going into the, into the um into the room into their like collection room or whatever you call it and um and he said no one could hold eye contact and he was just like the, you know all yeah. i had to do was beat the 11 scared men you know and and basically it's no different in rowing is that you look across and someone catches your eye and they turn away straight away and i'm like okay everyone's on form but i i, I don't know if it's just rowing or if it's I'm, I'm not sure if it's just our sport in particular but uh, I I never found there was like a lot of arrogance or there was a lot of like pre-game right. by anyone saying, oh, we're going right. to kick your ass today and all that. And one thing we always did, and I, and I, and, and I, and, and like any athlete or anyone I talk to is like, you just, you can't, you can't take for granted your, your other competitors. You know, you, you can't, you can't just go, oh, it's okay. We beat them yesterday. We should be able to beat them again today because you just never know, you know, like people can pull, some pretty large rabbits out of some pretty small hats when time matters, you know, to win big competitions. And you see it at the Olympics all the time. You'll see a non-favourite that wins and you'll be just like, holy shit, how'd they do that? But all they've done is they're like, I've got one race in me this year and that's going to be it. And everything's focused down to that race. So we never took anyone for granted. Um, and, and that's, I think, one of the strengths is that every time we went out there, we were like, they are not here to make up a number. They want to win just as much as we do. So we have to give them the respect that they deserve. And, and that was probably one of the keys. Eric, what drove you? I mean, you know, for those listeners, I, I've seen rowers when, you know, growing up in school, I used to see how hard they trained and that wasn't even professional. And the, the sort of anguish and pain that you go through with your body to have done it for as long as you, you did do it. <laughs> I, what 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 drove you every season to go? Can't wait to get on that erg again and just get rolling. 
Yeah, I, oh, mate, I don't know sometimes myself, to be fair. Uh, yeah, you, you do. Like, you question your resolve every now and again because you're just like, I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I'm sore, I've, I've got no money. I'm, like, it was just, you know, but you'd have to be like, why? Like, you'd have to ask yourself the whys. And for us, you know, it's quite easy in an Olympic sport because your why is four years, okay? So you can commit and be like, okay, you know, I, I've got the Olympics, like, you know, if they were this year, you like, you finish the Olympics and then you're like, okay, I'm going to go to the next one. So you, you know where your life's going to be for that four years. Mm. So when, even when times are tough and when shit's hitting the fan and you're like, ah, you, you sort of, you go, it's okay. I've got time. I've got four years. Um, and I think that that's one thing, you know, you, you look at time can be on both sides. You know, it can be very good because you've got time, but then on the other side, it's like, but if I'm not prepared, I've, I'm, I'm lo- losing time, all that sort of stuff. Um, but we were just trying to be better than we could be each day, right? And, and I think that's one of the keys is if you can try and find and squeeze out a little bit, go back to that 1%. You know, if you do a test on the rowing machine in December, and then you do another one in March, it's got to be better, you know. So it might only be better by half a second, but still better, you know. And, and so those were the driving factors of just trying to be better all the time um, mm. so that you could get over. And, and, and at the end of the day, if you can make racing relatively more comfortable, you know, like I wouldn't say easy, but like more comfortable so that you're not getting to the last two minutes going, holy shit, you know, like I don't know how I'm going to get to the finish line. <laughs> If you can get to half a minute to go and be like, holy shit, I've got to get to the finish line, then that's a lot more comfortable and easier and mentally than it is the other side. Um, and so we were just trying to push the limits. We were trying to do it so that we could win races comfortably, um, you know, so that we would be like, you know what, we didn't have to go to those deep, deep, dark places, you know, that pit of despair that you can get into every now and again. Um, and, and that was probably one of the crucial things that we made sure that training, training, in, in all sense, and I, and I hate saying it because it sounds really arrogant, but our training was far harder than most races we ever raced. You know, like the, the training races that we did against the clock or against our teammates in the double were far harder than a lot of the races we raced overseas because we were just really testing ourselves and putting ourselves under so much pressure in training so that when you came time to race, you're like, I, I know the pressure. I felt this. I'm, I'm ready for it. Um, and then we, there was just like, if you had that pressure in a race, you knew how to deal with it. And that's really just the whole preparation side coming out. Uh, we like to drill down on certain races, but I don't know how you separate eight world titles. I don't know how you separate two <laughs> Olympic uh, gold medals from each other. Uh, if I'm to ask you, what's the best feeling you've had in a boat? How would you answer that? <laughs> best feeling uh, is when you pull into the dock and you get out at training. um i I guess uh probably one of one of our most i guess one of the most satisfying victories we ever had it was actually a turning point in our career was here in carapira in 2010 uh yeah we we just we we went out into the race and and we'd we'd beaten everybody comfortably in all the pre-rounds and we would race the semi-final the day before against like our toughest rivals, this great British crew. And our whole race plan, stupidly enough, and okay, it's only our second year in the pier, was like, let's just track the British. Let's just make sure we counteract whatever they're doing. And we didn't go out there to race our own race. We were racing like everyone else, you know? And it was like, ah. And so in the end, we were, we were tracking them, 500 gone, we're level, 1,000 metres, we're level. 1500 so we got 500 to go there in front of us by like a second and I'm like holy shit here we go um and Hamish 
Hamish said afterwards, he goes, at about 300 metres to go, I was writing my condolence speech to the media in my head because we were behind. We, like, we shouldn't... We, Oh, we, we should never have won that race. But the thing was, I think, is a com- culmination of the British probably went a little bit too early um, in their sprint. They went before the 500. Um, and we just knew it was home water. And so we went with 350 to go and set a 250 because I was like, if we don't go now, we're not going to make time. Um, and we got in front and we won by 0.3 of a second, you know. So it was very satisfying because it's home water. <laughs> And you're like, this hasn't been here since 1978, and I don't know when the hell the next time it'll be in New Zealand. Um, so it's super satisfying with that. But at the same time, that was never, ever going to happen in our career again. We, we made sure that we'd never, ever think about other people in a race until we were like, we'd get out in front, we'd do what we need to, and then it was like, you know, game over from that point. Wow. Hell, hell of an education at the top, oh, yeah, chasing sure. gold at, at a world championship, you're learning all the time. Uh, Grant, I'm not sure if you've got any uh, any final ones for our legend. Oh, I, I think there's there is one final one. I want you to describe what it's like to row the half marathon that you did in an hour and seven minutes. <laughs> describe what your body you went you through. Madman. <laughs> well, see, this is what you know, and we talked about it quite a bit here, right? Preparation and pushing your limits. And, and making training harder than, than racing. And that there is probably harder than any sort of race situation I've ever been in, mentally and physically. Um, because you, you're basically running out of steam from about 15 minutes into an hour and seven minute thing. And so you're basically going, how can I be efficient to, to carry that on? Um, but of course, you know, there's world records to be beat. Um, you know, there's a little bit of ego to be brushed by putting your results up online and people going, how did he do that? There's no way, you know. <laughs> So it was just a matter of, of when a physiologist or your trainer says to you, oh, you won't be able to do this. You're like, challenge. You know, like, you're like, <laughs> right, pal, I'll show you what I can do. And, of course, that was what we were after. We wanted people to tell us what we couldn't do and then go about trying to do it. And I think that's one of the keys. You know, if you, it's like, you know, anyone, there's records there. They're there for a reason. You know, try and break them. And, and that's really the focus of what we, we tried to do was that any time anyone said we couldn't do this or, this is going to be too much, or I'm not sure if you can achieve that. It's like, righto, I'm, I'm ready for this, game on. Um, and so that was that. And so that half marathon, it was, there was a world record there, and we, we trained for it, we practiced for it, and then pumped it out. And I've got to say, it's probably, it's up there with the top, top five hardest sessions or things I've ever done in my time. And it took me at least two or three days to recover from because like, I was so exhausted and the body was so run down. Um, just from absolutely destroying yourself. Like an hour and, hour and seven minutes, and for uh, more than 50 minutes, my heart rate was above 190. So put that into what? perspective. That's yeah. crazy. Speaking of demolishing, I know, you, I know you've got a couple of sheds calling uh, for, for your big guns to deal to those. Uh, congratulations on all of you achieved, all those titles, world titles, Olympic gold medals. Commiserations on illness clearly robbing you of um, your, arguably your greatest uh, win earlier this year, Dancing with the Stars. You would you would hose the audience there. Uh, sorry, the, the rest of the field, no doubt. What what I what I want to finish on. Uh, we like setting Grant Elliott challenges on this art program, and one of them is a rowing one. Uh, he wants to get oh, out yeah. on the water. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. I, I think we should get him on an indoor rowing machine for um, a full hour. Um, what what would be what would be passable for Grant Elliott um, as far as how many k's he could do in one hour? Uh one hour. Uh, let me try and do the math in my head. Ten, 
I won't be doing an hour. Don't do the maths. I will not be doing an hour, Eric. I, I think you can give me um, maybe under 10 minutes or 10 minutes maybe max. No, no, a full hour. Because I'm pretty sure Eric's done almost See, close to what, 19K, I'll, haven't you, you? You've done nearly 19K you, in an hour, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, just under. So, But I'll tell you what, if Grant if he ever wants to have a challenge... One of probably the arguably the hardest sort of fitness test in the world is a 2K, 2K test on the rowing machine, right? So you've got to do 2K as fast as you can. The problem is if you go out too hard, you're going to blow and then you're going to be in a huge pit. Um, or if you, but if you don't go out hard enough, you're never going to get a time and you'll be disappointed. So it's a really, really mental and physical battle. Okay, challenge accepted. Two Ks. Good man. Done. Good man, that's better than an hour, isn't it, Grant? As you're staring at an hour, <laughs> Eric, it's been a joy having you on the program, mate. Um, always such great uh, energy uh, and wonderful stories Thanks, uh, that you've shared. Um, we can't wait to catch uh, up with you down the line because still fair to say you're a sports nut these days. Um, and maybe, may, maybe on the on the challenge tour one day playing golf, you never know. I doubt it, but no, love my golf. Um, yeah, just uh, really enjoy getting out there with mates and, and enjoying myself for sure. Thanks, Eric. Fantastic. Eric Murray, thanks for your time. Thanks, guys.